Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Okay, I'll just go ahead and concede right off that most of the news um, related to the coronavirus this morning is not good. As anticipated, cases here in the United States uh, and in Europe and in most other places in the world continue to rise, as does the death toll. Um, However, a, a, a good news report out of China for the first time, they went a full day with no new positive tests for the virus. Now, now, you know, don't get too excited too quickly. Uh, in, in reality, in the Wuhan province, where no new cases of the coronavirus were reported yesterday, um, you know, we would anticipate that we would still see some there. It's just very, very positive that they have gone a full day with no new uh, positive tests in that particular region of the country. All right. So uh, California governor um, has admitted that schools are not likely to reopen before the end of the school year. I tried to get you to anticipate that. This is probably not just, um, hey, our kids are home from school for a week or two. This is this is probably our kids are home from school. Um, and so we're going to we're going to be talking about how we sort of reengineer our lives around that expectation um, and how we talk with our kids about that. We're going to talk at the bottom of the second hour about how to have spiritual conversations with our children. I'm going to talk um, in just a few minutes with Peter Kapsner, one of the things he and I are going to talk about. They are a homeschool family. So now that we're all homeschool families, some advice that we might get from those who've been doing this uh, longer than the rest of us. 18% of American households have lost some or part of their work already. Uh, a couple of members of Congress, members of the media, me, men, excuse me, uh, members of the medical community, people in the mission field um, are among the newly diagnosed this morning. And there's a small hospital in New York that is already out of ventilators, and they are they are doing what's called double venting, which means they are using one machine to serve two COVID-19 patients simultaneously. Um, so I cannot say any more clearly than I have already said, but I will keep saying it. Stay home. Stay home. Uh, your, your hair is not essential. I mean, I, I don't want to put hairdressers out of business here, but like there are a lot of things that are just non-essential. Your nails getting your nails done. That's not that's not essential. Like think through whether or not what you are about to go out and do um, is absolutely essential. If it's not to go to the drugstore to pick uh, something up from the pharmacy, if it's not to go get something essential from the grocery store, um, it's probably not essential. We are on uh, what the president is now describing as a wartime footing. So I want you to consider that. I want you to think about that. We're on a wartime footing. What does it mean for you as a citizen of the United States? and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven to be on a wartime footing this morning. People are helping one another. Um, uh, I'm hoping this this first one is does not prove to be a rumor. Um, it was shared today with one of the morning lead sources that I follow on social media, but I have been unable to you know personally verify this from the Ford Motor Company directly. But it has been reported that Ford Motor Company, which converted its factories during World War II from manufacturing personal vehicles to warplanes, has already volunteered to begin converting factories to start producing medical ventilators. 
Um, now, that is the kind of wartime spirit we're going to need, and we're going to need it from everyone. Uh, we're going to need everyone to consider the personal sacrifices that we can make in order that we all get through this together. Uh, there are some effective treatments being identified. That is the most positive news that I have found this morning. The World Health Organization has announced its, quote, multi-country clinical trial for potential coronavirus therapies, part of an aggressive effort to jumpstart the global search for drugs to treat COVID-19. Uh, Oxford scientists have already developed a test that gives results in 30 minutes, so we would expect testing around the globe to really accelerate once that becomes widely available. And there are some patients in Sichuan, Sichuan, we like, uh, you, you probably know how to say Sichuan, even if you don't know how to spell it, patients in Sichuan, China, who were given medicine that's designed to treat something called the Japanese flu. It turned uh, the coronavirus from positive to negative in a median of four days compared with a median of 11 days for those who did not uh, get treated with this drug. And so there is hope on the horizon. X-rays confirmed improvements in the lung condition of 91% of the patients in Sichuan who were treated with this favipiravir, I know, I don't know how to say stuff, compared to 62% of those who did not receive the drug. So people are recovering, uh, which brings not only relief, but hope for the development of treatments and a vaccine. And we are hopeful there will be a vaccine by the end of the year. Now, having said that, the end of the year still feels like a long way away. Uh, Up next, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue this conversation about the coronavirus and the impacts on our lives. We'll be right back. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Joining me now, Ben Johnson. You know him as the rights writer. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you, Carmen. Okay, so I'm not sure this has ever happened. You might correct me. Um, I'm not sure that that the United States and Canada have ever closed their border. I had to look it up. Uh, Evidently, it was closed for just a few days after 9-11. Before that, it has not been closed since the beginning of the Canadian Confederation in 1867. Yeah, see, you, you see, you're a good researcher, man. Okay, so that seems like a long time ago, 1867. So here we are in 2020, and... The Canadian border is functionally closed. Um, That, for some people, particularly in our listening audience this morning who live on the northern border of the United States of America or just over the border in, uh, you know, in our neighbor to the north, um, this is there are a lot of people who are used to going back and forth. I think about Detroit and I think about just, you know, the lines of people that, you know, cars that just normally just go back and forth across the border. This is going to be a real significant change for some people. Of course it is. I used to live in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. We did all of our shopping in Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. So it, it, to us, it was just a, simply going across the bridge. It was uh, just like going out of town or to the next town over. And uh, so the, this is a major lifestyle change for people who live on the border. But uh, you're looking at two of the closest allies, the two closest allies in the entire world, the United States and Canada. Uh, I don't think that any country, even the UK, falls into that kind of strategic, geostrategic category. And yet we're having to hermetically seal uh, our border to all non-essential travel, as many other countries are around the world. Australia, New Zealand are doing it to one another. 
Uh, the EU outside of the Schengen area is, is sealing itself to any uh, any further uh, immigration or any kind of uh, travel during this time. So you're seeing around the world, people are realizing that a travel ban has to be in place as one of the measures in order to try and uh, keep this. Of course, then the key thing that all of us as individuals can do is this social distancing, limiting ourselves to any kind of, any eliminating any non-essential travel, distancing ourselves uh, as much as possible, and particularly for those who are elderly who have an underlying condition, such as heart disease, uh, lung, lung issues, or diabetes, uh, to limit our contact with them. Uh, even if we feel healthy, we may be carrying it asymptomatically, and we would pass it on to someone who would not survive. So, Ben, um, a couple of things have occurred to me in the last few days as I have been reading news related to this. Um, the There's this, like, nationalist spirit, like in a positive patriotic way that, that rises up in these times. Like, you know, we want to do what's best for our neighbors here in America. But there is also this sense that, wow, we as humanity on this uh, big, wonderful blue ball of the earth, we are really all in this together. It It is a small world after all. I'm wondering, you know, as a person who who thinks about and surveys sort of the way people groups function together in terms of the way they organize themselves, I'm thinking here about forms of government and and economies, um, you know, on a grand scale. I'm wondering if you there's any any observations that you're making in terms of like, does the EU survive this or do just nation states survive this? I mean, it, there's questions like that. Does socialized medicine in some places like are the flaws of it so revealed in this that people recognize we need a much more free market economy in relationship to healthcare? care? I mean, I'm just kind of wondering those things. Well, my friend Doug Bandow has a an article right now saying that uh, this will be the end of the EU. I mean, very simply, you've got. Uh, multiple countries, 28 countries that are dedicated to the free movement of persons and goods across a large swath of, of, of the entire continent. Uh, and so when you put all that together, obviously you're putting up a conveyor belt for transmission. Uh, so that's, that's an issue in itself. Uh, as I say, the EU has closed those who are outside the area of uh, the Schengen area. So uh, for those who are outside, they cannot come in and they've limited certain kinds of trade outside of the EU momentarily. But uh, I think that this is going to put all of that under a microscope that uh, you know, quite clearly we're, we're talking about a much larger issue uh, when it comes to the transmission across these borders, which have been eliminated. Uh, I think that that's one potential issue. Uh, another one is, is just the fact that uh, you have these friendly countries like ourselves and Canada, Australia and New Zealand, uh, two close neighbors who are closely allied with one another. We have common geostrategic purposes, defense initiatives together. And yet we're having to seal ourselves off from one another. How can you have 28 countries who are not always geostrategically on the same on the same page uh, survive this kind of, of an issue? Uh, and the long term effects of socialized medicine, I think, frankly, you're going to ramp up the demand in this country for socialized medicine because uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for example, just released her plan for tackling the economic effects of the coronavirus. And it's identical to her effects for tackling Climate change, it's identical to her, her idea for uh, for the economy as a whole. Uh, She's got one plan for everything, man. Income. Exactly. When, when your only plan is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, <laughs> right? So, yep. so, you know, it's a universal basic income, Medicare for all. And, uh, you know, and she's talking about a decarceral program, which is to say letting prisoners free uh, for those who are in, incarcerated right now for fear that they would catch, uh, that for fear that they will end up uh, un, with COVID-19 instead of doing a lockdown. So... 
that's that's the plan that uh, is being advanced. So I think that there's in the short term going to be a larger call for greater government interference in medicine. When you look at nations like Italy, where there's been a massive outbreak, uh, 1,500 doctors leave every year because of the uh, the problems of socialized medicine. You look at Canada, where they have the longest wait times in the entire civilized world, eight hours in Quebec uh, from the time you get in, and that's under normal situations. And then you throw in a global pandemic on top of that. It should magnify the problems and the shortcomings. But uh, in the short term, we're dealing with panic and emotion. We have to counter it with facts and uh, civility. All right, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, continue my conversation with Ben Johnson. You know him online as the rights writer. You can also find him at the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, ben, I'm I'm reading some things related to, you know, I, these, are they stimulus packages? Are they bailout packages? Are they just absolutely the federal government's righteous response to uh, an unprecedented situation and scenario? Um, there, to, to some people... You know, sending a check to everybody in the country or every household in the country looks like, wow, that could be that could set a precedent that we don't want to set. Um, You know, should should the U.S. government respond um, to really a recession that is global and provoked by something that is initially not an economic issue? Um, You know, so just talk with us a little bit about the things the, the federal government is doing and. I guess I'm hoping your diagnosis is um, these are this is not a sign that we are just going to move in this direction and then become this kind of country um, in terms of paying people not to work. I certainly hope not. And that's that's on the table. As you mentioned, uh, there's a Democratic proposal that would give a thousand dollars to every American who makes up to, I think, sixty eight thousand dollars a year, five hundred dollars per child. And uh, two Republicans, Mitt Romney and Tom Cotton, have signed on to that proposal. So it's a bipartisan effort at this point. Uh, The Trump administration unveiled a trillion-dollar package. Uh, Some of the things that they're talking about include checks directly to Americans in two different installments. It's not clear how much it's going to be. Uh, It could be $1,000 apiece. Uh, This has been done before, and this is one of the things that we need to remember. The best best, uh, idea of future performance is past performance. The Bush administration did this. The Obama administration did this. The George W. Bush administration, I should say, did this. And then the Gerald Ford administration did this back in the 1970s. They cut checks directly to the American people. And uh, every single time that it was done, the stimulus simply failed to stimulate. So it didn't accomplish its intended economic objectives, which is to to stimulate demand, because, A, it wasn't uh, in the case of the Obama administration. It was something like $13 a week, $65 a month. The average person can't do very much with that. Second of all, people are are not silly. They realize if they get a check from the government, it's a one-time check. And so they're not going to change the way they live their lives for this. They might uh, pay a little bit more on a bill. They might splurge on something. They're going to sock a lot of it away for a rainy day because they know this is a one-time check. And the known one-time check doesn't erase the unknown economic uncertainty that's facing us, particularly when uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is talking about the potential of 20% unemployment. I mean, the, the unemployment rate during the Great Depression was 25%. Now, the good news is I think we're probably looking at a V-shaped recovery depending on how long it takes uh, for, for this curve to flatten and how long it is before we get back to a normal economic life. 
the Federal Reserve is talking about a, a contraction during this not, during this quarter and then next quarter as well. So we're talking all the way through September, and then the economy starts to to rebound. At that point, uh, you're going to see the economy come back, and so what we need to do at this point is keep small businesses going. Uh, we need to help out those who are unemployed. There are a lot of people who are in the gig economy who do not currently qualify for unemployment insurance, and so state governors might look at lowering those requirements and, and eliminating that criteria momentarily, temporarily. But for everyone else, uh, the idea of simply paying people to stay at home, paying people not to work, doesn't, uh, it, first of all, doesn't uh, improve their outcomes uh, it doesn't. It uh, it's been tried in several places, going all the way back to the 1970s. The the result has been the same, which is it has no real positive benefit for them whatsoever, except that some of them reported to, uh, a slightly happier emotional state. Uh, but in terms of actually going back, for example, there's always this statement where they're going to start uh, fulfilling their dreams. They'll go back to school. They'll get a degree. They'll start a business. They'll write a concerto. And none of these things have ever materialized in any of the uh, very favorably disposed governments that have tried this. Uh, they've been favorably disposed to it on the outset, and they said that these have failed at the end. We shouldn't go down that path. I feel like if somebody is prepared to write a concerto, they should do it now. Like, don't don't wait. Just go ahead. Write write that now. Yeah, the COVID concerto. Get it out there on paper. There you go. I mean, go ahead, man. Get that down on paper. Um all right, Ben. Um, maybe I don't know. We got time. Uh, we can t- we can talk with one more one more thing. We got one. We have we have time for one more thing. Um, I was going to have my one more thing be um, Bernie has uh, left the race, but apparently that was just a rumor. So Bernie's <laughs> considering leaving the race. So we're not going to talk about Bernie leaving the race. Um, uh, let's can we touch. Pray for it? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's touch on let's touch on what is happening. Um, at, at the European Court of Human Rights, I do. I don't want to just completely lose track during this season of things that are going on around the world in terms of religious liberty. Tell tell us what happened in this case. Yeah, so this is a case of uh, Swedish midwives who were compelled to uh, participate in an abortion, and they have said under no circumstances can we do so. It violates our faith. They went to all the way to the European Court of Human Rights, and the court ruled against them. They said that it's true that you have the right to religious liberty. However, there is an equal right to abortion. And when these two are in conflict, then the two have to be played off as equal. And in this case, they decided that a woman's right to abortion trumped their right to an exercise of freedom of religion. Uh, The good thing about the European Union is in many cases, people uh, live close to another country. And so they can they can cross national borders and practice in a country that will respect their faith. That's happened in the case of at least one of the women in, in uh, this particular case. But the idea that the right to an abortion trumps your right not to sin against the almighty and everlasting living God uh, is a dangerous precedent to set. And it's one that's been set by the European uh, Court of Human Rights. Yeah, it's just a very disturbing outcome in a case that um, will probably will 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 likely set a precedent um, for the future. And so we need to be praying for Christians uh, and other people of religious conviction uh, who believe that abortion is wrong, and we need to be praying for them as they serve around the world in places where they are compelled um, by the government to do things against their religious conscience um, or or have to go find. Um, other work to do. So just want to be want to be praying for folks on that front this morning. Ben Johnson, thank you so much as always for joining us. You guys can find Ben on Twitter at The Rights Writer. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. 
Okay, so we're going to take a step back, get a little bit of a wide-angle view on some trends in the culture. Dr. Nancy Piercy, one of the smartest women I know, teaches and writes on the topic of Christian worldview. Uh, she helps us gain a perspective on the times in which we live. I had the opportunity to talk with her a couple of days ago, admittedly before the COVID-19 uh, virus was quite what it is today. And so we don't talk about that. We are talking instead um, about uh, things in the culture related to agendas pressing up against those of us who would recognize reality for what it is. Nancy Piercy, up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The teen years always bring with them a measure of turbulence. But as a parent, you need to discern when the bumps are a passing inconvenience or a major warning sign. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your son or daughter struggles for more freedom or makes mistakes that put you on edge, that's entirely natural. But if they're causing harm to themselves or those around them, it's time to get help. So watch for signs such as marks on their body. Or take a look at the interaction they're having online. When you come across dangerous behavior, don't be afraid to call in the experts. When your gut instincts are shooting off flares, don't wait. Get help right away. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. to be joined today by Nancy Piercy. She is a scholar in residence and professor at Houston Baptist University, where she serves as the director of the Francis Schaeffer Center for Worldview and Culture. She's a fellow at the Discovery Institute, author of several books, including the one we are going to talk about today, Love Thy Body. You can find her online at nancypiercy.com. Nancy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. So it seems to me that we have a growing confusion today about what is real. Um, people seem to have literally lost touch with reality. So let's talk about how we respond to a culture that seems to be growing more and more comfortable with delusion. Yes, I appreciate you bringing that up because this is totally new. I don't think ever in human history have people thought that you could make reality just by saying something. And what I'm referring to is the transgender movement where the idea is that a man can say, I'm a woman, and make it so just by saying it. Recently, there was a uh, news account of a book that is being used by several school districts in the U.S. that tells children this, and this is a direct quote, everyone gets to choose if they are a boy or a girl or both or neither, or something else, and no one else gets to choose for them. So, of course, that last line is directed at parents. No one else gets to choose for them. Their parents cannot tell them if they're a boy or a girl. Everyone gets to choose. I think this is something new in human history. We have had totalitarian regimes that could tell you what you couldn't say, what you could not say. They would try to govern speech. But I don't think we've ever lived in an era that people thought you could make reality just by saying it and that what you say is what is real. So, 
Nancy, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I make the same observation. I find myself um, standing in conversations periodically where something is said um, as if as if it is the truth, and I know it's a lie. How do you respond in the midst of um, of a conversation or uh, in a community? where something that is clearly not true, where a delusion is lifted up as if it is fact. How do we respond to that? Well, in this case, in terms of the transgender movement, because that is really what is attacking our language more than anything else, what we need to do is help people to reconnect with biology and nature. We need to help people to realize God made the human body, and the human body is good, and we should accept the body as a handiwork of God, These days, we even have parents who are raising their kids gender neutral. In other words, they're calling them babies, T-H-E-Y, babies, instead of babies. And there's even a Facebook page for them, which literally says there is no such thing as biological sex. You can go to the Facebook page. There is no such thing as biological sex. Christian's response to that should be, This is an extreme devaluation of the body. And this is what we, our response should be, why should you devalue the body so much? Why are secular people today devaluating the body? The body is the handiwork of God, and we need to bring people people back to the reality of biological sex. We should be honoring our body, respecting our biological sex, we should be treating it as a handiwork of God, as something of great value and very and great dignity. So I'm glad you brought up the word dignity and the word value. Um, I think when we are talking about a loss of not just the sense of dignity, but the loss of the reality of dignity, um, we see that happening at a lot of places in the culture. Um, but specifically, what you and I are talking about is human dignity, what we might also call dehumanization. So where are some of the places where you see evidence of dehumanization um, shaping the ways that, I mean, shaping things about ourselves and the way that we approach things that, you know, frankly, we might not see? Right. Well, you know, sometimes we need to go out and find allies. Um, Allies in the secular world on these issues will make us, will help us um, address it in in public terms. So... Feminists are also protesting the devaluation of the body, the, the dehumanization of especially women, because transgenderism basically is saying, if a man says, I'm a woman, that makes it so. And feminists are starting to say, wait a minute, this affects women's rights. To protect women's rights, we have to be able to say what a woman is. And is if sex is a social construction, then it becomes impossible to argue for rights based on the sheer fact of being biologically female. We cannot legally protect a category of people if we cannot identify that category. So this is where, you know, even secular people are starting to realize. You can find this on secular websites. They're starting to say transgenderism is body hatred. It's a a rejection of our body. And if you read people like Judith Butler, she's the um, founder of Queer Theory, very popular among radical students on campus. 
And she essentially says, even our body is a social construction and we do not need to be governed by nature or biology. So it's, it's kind of odd because in the past, people have thought Christianity, Christianity is otherworldly. That Christianity doesn't care about this world. That Christianity is, uh, that, that it's Christianity that denigrates this world. And today it's the opposite. It's Christianity that's standing for the value and dignity of this world and of our biological realities. Nancy Piercy is here. She and I are talking um, about a range of topics, all of which are covered in her book, Love Thy Body. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. All right, rejoining the conversation now with Nancy Piercy. Uh, you can find her at nancypiercy.com, also on Facebook by her name, Nancy Piercy. We're talking about a range of topics, um, all of which are covered in her book, Love Thy Body. Uh, Nancy, you wrote Love Thy Body, I don't know, maybe a year ago now, maybe two years ago now, but the content is obviously relevant and contemporary and has application to literally the headlines of our day. And so I thought that um, I would offer up a headline that I read on Reddit and have you respond, um, you know, from the love thy body perspective. So this sort of goes to the hookup culture part of the book. And here is the headline I read on Reddit. Should I consider altering my open marriage to protect my aging parents with whom I live from the coronavirus? (laughs) That's an interesting headline. Yes, I, I do agree with you that. Uh, this is the book, first book I have ever written where every day there are headlines related <laughs> exactly. to the content. And what we have to help people to realize is that the, the idea of the hookup culture or an open marriage rests on the assumption, on the worldview that says sex can be purely physical, that it's cut off from the whole person, that there's no hint of love or commitment. And young people know the script all too well. In my book, Love Thy Body, I include several poignant quotes from college students, that, like uh, a girl who was named Alicia. She says, and I quote from, from an article, she was quoted saying, hookups are very scripted. You learn to turn everything off except your body. You make yourself emotionally invulnerable. And so that is... People people sometimes think, I'm just following my feelings. You are never just following your feelings, whether you're in an open marriage or in a hookup situation. You are always expressing a worldview, always expressing a worldview. So the hookup culture rests on the idea, the worldview that says your body can be treated as purely physical, driven by physical impulses and instincts. It can be cut off from the rich inner life of the whole person. In fact, in Lovely Body, I quote a uh, a young man from Austin, Texas, who says, sex is just a piece of body touching another piece of body. It is existentially meaningless. Now, no wonder this worldview is creating a trail of wounded people. People are trying to live out a secular ethic does not, that does not fit who they truly are. We do not naturally thrive on casual, meaningless sexual encounters. And even science 
is now showing the interconnection of body and person with the discovery that sexual activity releases hormones like oxytocin and vasopressin. These are hormones that create a sense of attachment. There's a UCLA psychiatrist who's written a book on this, and she says, you'll love this language. She says, you might say we are designed to bond. So the, the Christian ethic is incarnational. It says that what you do with your body is meant to be in harmony with who you are as a whole person. And that's why in the biblical worldview, the most complete and intimate physical union is meant to express the most complete and intimate union of the whole person in the whole life commitment of marriage. So, Nancy, you said several things there that I, um, you know, I want people to not miss and take note of. Um, when, when you said you are always expressing a worldview, that, that is true in literally every moment of our lives, in the words we choose, in the actions we take, in the things that we resist, um, in, you know, in where we spend our money and, and spend our time, certainly our relationships, we are always expressing a worldview. Um, I think that part of what Love Thy Body equips people to do, and again, I'm talking with Nancy Piercy. We're talking about her book, Love Thy Body. You can find Nancy and the book at nancypiercy.com. Um, part of what I genuinely appreciate about Love Thy Body um, is it does help me see and recognize the worldview that is operating behind the abortion conversation or the homosexuality conversation or the transgenderism conversation or the conversation about the hookup culture uh, on campuses and in older adult living communities today. I mean, the hookup culture is frankly everywhere. And so um, I don't want people to miss that. You are always expressing a worldview. And then the other um, thing that you illuminate here, when we talk about the, the Christian understanding of the body um, as something that is integrated, um, it, it is incarnational. It's more than just uh, flesh and blood. It, it, it is, there is more going on in the animated human being because we are God-breathed. There's something more going on with us than just a physical body with physical urges that need to be, uh, that we imagine need to be satisfied in a particular way through sex. What your quotes from the book illuminate is the disintegrated reality in which many people are living today. Talk about the difference between a disintegrated way of living and an integrated way of living. Right. So um, I think we see this most in terms of the um, transgender movement, because it explicitly says your body has nothing to do with your gender identity. Now, that is extremely disassociated. They're essentially saying your body has nothing to do with who you are. It gives you no clues to your identity. And so kids down to kindergarten are today being taught this uh, uh, a, a, a dualism, a dualism of my body is over here and my gendered identity is over here and they're completely disconnected. There's a BBC uh, video that features a young woman who identifies as non-binary. And she says, it doesn't matter what living meat skeleton you've been born in. It's what you feel that defines you. So the body has been reduced to nothing but a meat skeleton. That is an extremely low view of the body. 
and this is what I think is hard for Christians sometimes to get their mind around, is that we too tend to have a sacred secular split. And so we too need to learn to use language that shows the integration of the body and the person. We need to also use language of honor your body, respect your biological identity, live in tune with your body, live in harmony with the creator's design. By using language like this, positive language, we can overcome the negative image that Christians often have. I think most of the public, and even in the church, we sometimes have the impression that the Christian view is purely negative. It's, it's, we say things like, uh, it's wrong, it's a sin, don't do it, and something's wrong with you. And that's the message we give to people who are in the, whether in the hookup culture, the homosexuality, transgenderism, and so on. We tend to send this negative message where, in fact, the biblical message is very positive. It's, it's sending the idea that you are a whole person. You cannot just denigrate your body. You cannot dismiss your body. You cannot say, my body is not part of my authentic identity. No, God's handiwork includes the, is, is the created world, including our body. And that's our answer to these issues, whether it's abortion, hookup culture, homosexuality, transgenderism. The Christian, all of these involve our body, right? These ethical issues involve how we treat the body. And so it turns out that the most important answer to that is to say you are a product of God's own choice. He chose to make you this way, and you can honor the Creator's design by living in accord with the way He made you. Nancy Piercy, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. I want to encourage people to check out nancypiercy.com. I recommend you start your reading with Saving Leonardo and then work your way through Total Truth, Finding Truth, On Your Way to Love Thy Body. That is the order in which I would recommend your reading of Nancy's books. Nancy, um, thank you so much for joining us and for continuing to illuminate these hard truths among us. Thanks for having me, Carmen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Angel armies. Don't you love the thought of that? He is a friend of mine, and angel armies are on my side. I want you to think about that. Um, You're going to hear, if you haven't heard already, that America is on a war footing. You're going to hear this language from the President of the United States. You're going to hear this language going forward from the Coronavirus Task Force. You're going to hear this language from the media. You're going to hear the language Um, that America is at war, that language is going to need to be translated for kids. It's absolutely going to need to be translated for kids. Kids think of war as meaning one thing and one thing only. Part of that's our fault, right? We have not equipped um, emerging generations to understand that every nanosecond of every moment Uh, Since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, there's been a war going on, raging against the human soul. We have an enemy, uh, capital E, uh, his name is Satan or the devil. Like, there is a war going on. Most of us do not 
armor up every day with Ephesians 6 as God uh, commands us to. And so some of us have forgotten that we just live on a war footing all the time, um, or we have, you know, we've sat down in the midst of a time when we should have been equipped for the war at hand. But kids are going to need for you to translate for them what it means for the United States of America to be at war with something called the coronavirus and what it means to be um, to live sacrificially for others uh, in this time. This is a good time to actually look back at and talk to older Americans. What was it like to be a little kid, to be a little kid um, in World War II? Uh, So Grandma Ruth Ann is going to get online with us later today, and we're going to have her talk about what it was like, um, you know, to be a little kid. So uh, that's my mom, by the way. She's 81. And so uh, she was born in 1938. She remembers, she remembers some things that would be helpful for the teenage children in my house to now learn. So this would be a great opportunity for you to um, invite older Americans into a conversation today with younger Americans. Use technology to do it. Um, We're going to practice safe social distancing, but we are also going to get ourselves on the right war footing. Armor up today with Ephesians 6. Get yourself on a war footing spiritually, but then also prepare yourself and those around you to be on a war footing against the coronavirus. We are all in this together. Let's act as such and let's sacrifice as needed. We got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. In fact, in the bottom of the next hour, I'm going to have a conversation about what it's like to have spiritual conversations with our children. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.